कफस उदास है यारों सबास कुछ तो कहो Welcome to the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast, also known as the SASPod. I am Lalita Duperon, Associate Director in the Center for South Asia. All our podcasts and information about the center are available at southasia.stanford.edu. Today, we welcome to the SASPOD, Dr. S.V. Mahadevan, who is a professor of emergency medicine at Stanford, as well as the director of South Asia Outreach at the Center for Asian Health Research and Education and director of Global Affairs and Strategy at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Mahadevan, I know you are incredibly busy and we are very grateful to you for making time for us today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, hanging in, thank you for asking. Um, you, you gave this very informative webinar for the Center for South Asia on April 28th, and this is up on our YouTube channel, the SASTube. How have things evolved in the last three weeks? And we are, of course, talking about COVID. Yes, um, since, since the webinar, I think, you know, some of the things that we discussed in the webinar were why India was suffering uh, the situation in the first place and what we might um, see happen over the course of the next few weeks. And I think uh, things have gotten worse, certainly anecdotally from all the friends and relatives and colleagues who have been reaching out to tell me about very tragic and untimely deaths in, in young people with COVID or family members with COVID, as well as just the sheer numbers as we see the news and understand uh, the impact of COVID on India. India is the epicenter for COVID for the world right now. Mm. Um, I think what's confusing, and we talked about this in the webinar, but I feel that it's not stopped being confusing. Everything looked so good in India. So what happened or was it never that good to begin with? Because you went, right? Martha, you thought it I was think- good too. Yeah, no, um, I think I think in some ways, look, this is a a novel disease that we are still learning about. Mm -hmm. And so anything that we've done to this point has always been based on sort of educated guesses, kind of reading what's happening around the world, what's happening in terms of the number of infections, the number of people visiting hospitals or in ICUs, and then determining our actions based on that. And I believe what happened in India was the number of infections from the initial wave of the virus were slowly declining over time. Um, unfortunately, that virus was also mutating into different forms at the same time. So the original virus that sort of passed through India uh, was not, did not have as significant an impact, but uh, sort of set the seed for the development of these mutations silently over time. And then what we've seen is um, early in the year, even myself thinking, wow, you know, the number of infections are declining rapidly. I'm immunized. This might be a good chance to go and visit friends and family, 
um, in India and uh, would be, it was gonna be my first trip overseas. And what we failed to recognize were a whole bunch of things were happening in India at that time. I think um, everyone relaxed a little bit. Uh, people were not masking or not taking the precautions that they should have been, or were not continuing to take the precautions. They were attending group events uh, that were timely for that time of year, such as weddings and other gatherings, religious functions like the Kumbh Mela in Northern India, which was attracting people from around the entire country, um, political events uh, and gatherings. And what is interesting about this virus is it, it passes silently. And so it's not as if it's easy to recognize that someone else is really sick and avoid them. The person who gives you the virus looks fine um, and, and silently passes it on to you. And then you return to your family and silently pass it on to your family members or coworkers. And that's how it spreads. And unfortunately, I think that's really what happened is this, this new variant in India or other variants from around the world slowly started to take hold in India. They were given the opportunity to spread from person to person by sort of a relaxing of, you know, precautions as well as get, getting together in large groups and then returning to all parts of India. And then what you had is a crisis, a humanitarian crisis affecting not just one part of the country, but the entire country. And presumably beyond the country, how, how is this, how are these variants now spreading in the rest of South Asia? The, the news is still very much about India. Nepal has come into the news um, a bit more, but presumably this is now uh, spreading throughout the region. Absolutely. And so areas that, uh, again, felt like they had the virus under control or, or had, had very few deaths and very few cases. Uh, I'll give you an example. Taiwan, for example, uh, and, and Thailand and other Southeast Asian countries, in, and you mentioned Nepal, are now seeing a rise in cases as a result of the spread of not just the original virus, but also these variants, which are potentially more infectious. So I think a question that we had at the webinar, we continue to have, um, is the vaccine situation. And I understand you only know what you know. Um, like it's, as you say, it's it, the, the virus itself is still mutating. So um, we don't know that much, but um, let's just focus on India for a moment because they were also the epicenter of vaccine production as I understand it. And so did they export too many vaccines and didn't keep enough for themselves or did they stop manufacturing them or what's what happened? Why are the vaccination rates so low? I think it's a it's a combination of a couple of things. Uh, India is going to play a very prominent role for the world in terms of vaccine development and low cost vaccine development that can be deployed in countries that may not be able to afford more expensive vaccines like the mRNA vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna. And so uh, they had taken upon themselves a very important role of vaccine development. Unfortunately, it's not like um, making TVs or iPhones. Vaccine development is a, a, a slow and tedious process that requires um, very specific components, components and ingredients that uh, if there's a limitation on them, will slow the process. And of course, you need to adhere to all these standards to ensure that the vaccines are good and are going to be effective. 
And that just wasn't going to happen in a couple of months time. We're talking about an extended period of time, probably over a course of a year to generate enough of that vaccine to start making a dent or an impact. Well, what you what you find is that as COVID began to sort of wane in the country, probably there was a notion of, yes, of course, we need to vaccinate our population, but the urgency is gone a little bit uh, because we have much fewer cases and we're doing so well, relatively speaking, in terms of the number of infected. And so I think there was that that sort of confluence of events. One, they were in the process of making vaccines, but there was less urgency because the country wasn't suffering so many infections. And then these variants were spreading silently to individuals and, and, and leading to this uh, humanitarian crisis now with so many people infected. And so I think sort of we got caught unawares in, in that regard. And are they, do you know what the vaccination drive in India is right now? Because I have heard from many people that they had their first, first shot and then they didn't want to leave the house to get the second one. Yes. Uh, and so with regards to that, uh, ab absolutely. Look, the, the only way this pandemic will end is with everyone being vaccinated or as many people getting the vaccine as possible. Mm -hmm. It's important to, to go and get that second vaccine and not be afraid to do that. And so what people should do is protect themselves. And whether that's double masking, obviously good hand hygiene, um, if you have a face shield using that, whatever it means you can to protect yourself when you're around others so that you could get the vaccine, that is very important. So I, I would not recommend people avoiding the second vaccine out of fear of COVID. The only way to prevent COVID is to get the vaccine. It's so new, right? I mean, I think we, we as the general public get frustrated with what seems to be conflicting advice and then this happens and, and, and like it feels like we're all kind of grasping in the dark sometimes. And I have to remind myself, this is a completely new virus and the speed at which it's being um, controlled or people are working on combating it is, is amazing and, and the speed at which, which the vaccine was developed. So I have to always remind myself like, okay, you can't expect too much because even experts like yourself are presumably just a couple of steps ahead. I mean, there's only so much information we have. So do we know, I mean, that, assuming that premise is correct, that there's just limited information because everything is so new. Do we know more about these variants and how vaccines um, protect us from them? Yes, yeah, so we're still learning each each day and each week um, about the variants and the efficacy of the vaccines. And I, I can say, look, so far, so good, at least um, here in the US, we, we do know that many of the variants from Brazil, South Africa and India are here in the US right now. Um, they're here and we just haven't seen a spike in cases. That doesn't mean that it can't happen, um, but we just haven't seen it yet. And some of the in, the uh, in vitro studies where they study antibody response to these variants in the laboratory as opposed to in human beings have been positive. And some of the studies looking at those who've been vaccinated, like those in Israel, have also been positive with regards to the variant. So that's that's all very encouraging news. Um, and, and and but we just don't know what other variants are out there. And so right now our fingers are crossed. Things are looking good. 
but things can change as, as as they've changed in India over the course of a few weeks, they can change anywhere. And so I think we still have to be very cautious and vigilant. Um, I, I won't, <laughs> uh, we discussed, I won't ask your a personal or professional opinion about some of the official advice that's being given, uh, but just um, as, a, as a person, as a medical expert, what's your um, take on mask wearing right now? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's it's one important facet of uh, protecting ourselves and protecting others, too. We, should, we have to think about it in both directions from getting the virus. So I know that the CDC has released new guidelines with regards to mask wearing. And I, and I think, you know, the, the reason for that is they have been really looking carefully at transmission and more importantly uh, than even transmission, what are what are the mortality rates or what are the death rates as a result of those who've been vaccinated uh, versus those who haven't. And I think it's all very encouraging. Uh, and, and that's the real important thing to remember. Let's say that your chance of dying from COVID is 0.1%, for example. That means you have a one in a thousand chance of dying if you get COVID. With the vaccines, however, the early data suggests that your chance of dying is one in a million. And so there's been a lot of attention sort of focused on the vaccines and vaccine safety, and, and rightfully so, and that's something that the FDA and CDC are looking at carefully for us. But I think we really need to put it in perspective. What would you rather do? Take your chances with a disease that causes death in one in a thousand and potentially long-term effects that we're still starting to understand like long COVID syndrome or with a vaccine that protects people so that's such that only one in a million are dying. I think those are really the numbers that we need to be focusing on rather than scrutinizing, over scrutinizing the, scrutinizing the vaccines. We really need to think about who it, what the problem is and that's COVID itself. So I have a question about long COVID because, again, we don't know that much because it hasn't been long enough. But um, do we know the vaccine protects against long COVID? Do we know anything about that? I, I think we're still still learning uh, whether two things, whether getting the vaccine after you've had COVID improves symptoms. There's been some anecdotal reports and, and they're studying that right now to understand whether that uh, tends to improve symptoms um, versus preventing it. Presumably, if if you get the vaccine and you never get COVID, then you can't get long COVID. Right. Uh, and so that's really the hope is, look, hey, if you don't get the disease in the first place, and I would say, if you can avoid getting the disease, that's what you want. Uh, because we don't know all the deleterious effects of COVID yet. We're still just learning, you know, over the course of the year, we've learned a lot, but we're still learning more as time passes. And and I I mean it, I wonder if it's if it's exciting in a, a of course we all would prefer that this was not happening but as a um, a medical professional I mean there is the learning curve is must be so intense and I know that um, I have friends who were working on other diseases and they've all been kind of quote unquote repurposed uh, to work on COVID so is is there a sense of of um, Excitement is probably not the right word because it's also very challenging, but kind of being part of this amazing learning curve. One of the things that is, I think, exciting, obviously, COVID has been a, a terrible blight on our, our, our world for the past year and a half. But 
One thing that is, um, you know, something that we should look forward to is this development of this mRNA vaccine technology, which, you know, there, there are diseases for which we have not been able to develop uh, effective vaccines. And one of them is HIV, which has been around since the 1980s. And yet still today, we don't have a vaccine for HIV. There are also other terrible diseases that claim many lives in the developing world, like malaria. And so I think what's really interesting is to see whether this vaccine technology in the future could be used to address these diseases that we have struggled with uh, trying to find a vaccine for. So out of this misery, potentially, there may be a light at the end of the tunnel for other, um, other worrisome uh, infectious diseases or diseases that we are at risk for. That's actually pretty amazing. And, and if, if we needed a silver lining, I guess we did, we all need a silver lining, but they're not always appropriate, but that feels like actually a pretty good one. Absolutely. So I had my 14 year old vaccinated this week. Um, I, um, you know, being European, I think we think a little bit differently about vaccines. I, f I feel that in the United States, there are, um, you know, when children are young, a lot more are on offer. So I always like to take my time a little bit. Um, and I did while he was growing up. Um, this one was not a hard one in terms of whether it was necessary, but I did feel pretty strongly that as children are not really at a super high risk of getting very ill or uh, indeed, uh, God forbid, passing away from COVID, the vaccines that are being given to the um, 12 plus, you know, between 12 and 18 population really should be going to India. What's your take on that? Well, it's it's a it's a very difficult question, like Sorry. trying to decide who, who who's who's more deserving, oh. you know, someone who's younger here or someone overseas. And I would say they're all deserving. But to your point about uh, youngsters and COVID, yes, early on, there was a suggestion that they were less affected. They had lower mortalities and that that's certainly true. But as the virus evolves and mutates, that may not be the case anymore. And and so I think it is important that we vaccinate everyone. They, they also potentially can acquire the illness and maybe they won't die from it, but they can transmit it to others as well who may, aren't vaccinated. So I think the more people we can vac vaccinate safely, including um, teenagers and children when, when it's appropriate time, uh, the better. Certainly we don't wanna withhold vaccines from anyone. Uh, and, and that's why um, our goal should be to try and sort of focus our attention on vaccine development for the rest of the world. Right. Um, rather, now that we've really uh, put a big dent in uh, our countries or really done a good job about vaccinating most of the population, we really need to focus on other populations around the world uh, and vaccinating them. And do you know anything about the patent situation? It's something I don't fully understand of how that works and what motivates um, the, the decisions around patents. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. That's, <laughs> how, that's how little I know about them. Yes, yeah, yeah, certainly, you know, um, uh, pharmaceutical companies that develop medications have patents on their those medications. And in, in some ways, you could say rightfully so. They've uh, spent the money developing the medication. It's like any other product, mm -hmm. uh, non-pharmaceutical that somebody might develop and 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 has a patent to. Um, but but this is a this is certainly a, a unique circumstance. Um, having the patent on uh, a, a, an app for an iPhone isn't going to change the world necessarily. But 
but um, releasing the patent to allow the production of a vaccine that could save so many people is a little bit different. And, and also uh, a lot of government funds were invested into these companies to help with the development of the vaccines. And um, in that regard, I think we do have a, a say to some degree um, mm -hmm. because of that investment in how these patents are dealt with. So it's really more of a humanitarian question at this point. And I think, you know, most people would agree in general, we don't want to have companies give up patents, but in this particular circumstance, can we find another way to protect their interests and compensate them for what they've done while ensuring that the rest of the world has vaccinations? I think that's sort of the delicate balance that we're trying to work out. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so is the patent like a legal protection? Like I have the patent to this uh, particular recipe and you can't use it? Or does it mean that you don't know how to make it because I I have the patent on it? it? It's that I have the patent to how this is produced, this medication or this vaccine, um, and no one else can produce it without my explicit permission. So even if they know how to, it, it they wouldn't be able to legally because you have the patent. Correct. Got, got it. Got it. Thank you. Um, I heard a program on the BBC yesterday where the speaker, a medical doctor, said uh, with great confidence, this pandemic will end. Pandemics always do. They go in waves and then they kind of go down and they just become just another thing that we um, live with. Um, he did project at least another year. Um, and I do, I, I was listening and I'm like, well, that's hopeful, I guess. Um, but this statement that pandemics always um, end, like, I don't know what the what a good comparison is um, with COVID. But I also feel, also feel people travel more than they've ever done. Like even during the webinar, somebody asked, so that was three weeks ago, um, you know, my relatives from India want to come and visit, you know, should they not? So it, it feels like people still want to travel and the opportunities there. So what are your thoughts? Is this pandemic going to end and, and do they always end? You know, it's it's again one of those things where yes, the pandemic will end. Um, this may become a virus that stays with us though uh, into the future. That's something that we don't know. Um, but it may become as harmless as the cold virus as we develop vaccines. That I think we don't also know. We don't know whether in in the future we'll need to have boosters for um, this particular virus in terms of vaccinations. So yes, um, I, I do believe the pandemic will end at some point. Anybody that can give a a, a date um, is just is just guessing, making an educated guess. So I try not to do that. I, I can already see, though, at least in the Bay Area, uh, a, a semblance of some normality coming back. You know, uh, people getting together that are vaccinated without their masks and, and sharing the air and space indoors. Something that they would be afraid to do previously and so it's going to happen i'll be honest uh, it's going to take some time for people to get over um their fears about the virus mm -hmm. uh and um be willing to you know in their mind risk things like taking off their mask or being close to others there's going to be a little bit of time to return to normal uh, i think we're going to have to adjust slowly to to what life was like pre-pandemic, but I do believe we'll get there. 
the time frame is anyone's guess. I, I, I think we had talked about this on the webinar. We thought 2020 was bad. <laughs> Clearly, 2021 is is not any better, um, and we'll keep our fingers crossed for 2022. But you know, until we start seeing signs that not only the U.S. is getting better, but the rest of the world is getting better as well, I don't think we, we can really let our guard down. Yeah, that's really the the the, the, the um, crux of it, right? Is the rest of the world? Because yes, I mean, I went to get some takeout food the other day, and and people are inside the restaurant eating, and I'm I don't know when I'll be ready for that. Like to me, it's like I know, uh, and I'm not prepared to take my mask off. Also, I spend money on some very nice masks, you know. I, <laughs> I, I accessorize now, so I'm going to keep my mask on for a bit longer. Um, but yes, Bay Area, good. California, good. The rest of the country, also, you know, getting on board with the vaccines and everything. Um, but people, I mean, people are going to travel again, and so it seems like unless the whole world really um, has access to the vaccine, we're kidding ourselves that we can control this. And, and very importantly, we are, as you mentioned before, interconnected with the rest of the world. So things may be looking rosier right now, but if we allow the virus to sort of um, you know, change in another population, um, inevitably, it will make its way back to the U.S. There's with all the international travel and the fact that this virus can travel silently mm -hmm. and that we can have false negative tests before you get on a plane and travel somewhere. We know that's the case that um, until we address this crisis in the rest of the world, we can never be entirely sure that we're we're going to be OK. Correct. Yes. Well, let's hope that. Um... The people that make these decisions make the right ones and, and um, make sure that the, the vaccines get to everyone as soon as is possible. Um, what about India? Um, to kind of as a final question, what, what do you see happening in the next few weeks and months and what needs to happen in the next few weeks and months? I think what's happened is, um, the, the, you know, the crisis in India has rallied people from around the world to... Um, to come to their aid. And so there's a lot of resources, whether it's oxygen concentrators or vaccines or other supplies that are required like pulse oximeters, they're all being sent to the country. A lot of effort has been put in thinking about ways of handling the, the, the surge of patients that hospitals can accommodate, such as the development of field hospital concepts as well. Um, so I think what's happened um, in India has really sparked the rest of the world to, to, to think about this and, and think about how they can help. Unfortunately, we're still riding that, that wave is still getting bigger. We don't know when it's going to reach its peak. Uh, it hasn't yet. Um, and uh, I, would, I would only caution those that are there to continue to avoid contact with others as much as you can be very judicious about hand washing and mask wearing, especially in the presence of others, insist that others do the same until the case counts start to come down uh, dramatically. And that's the only way to sort of get through this particular wave at the moment. Thank you again for making time uh, to help us understand what is going on with COVID in India and the world. Uh, we wish you and your family all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lolita. Appreciate it. Uh, for our listeners, we will link to um, the webinar with Dr. Mahadevan that we recorded on April 28th. 
um, and um, you can uh, look that up on the SASTube, our South Asia Studies at Stanford YouTube channel. I also want to thank Soham Shiva for creating the music that you heard in the intro and the outro of the podcast. And as always, Simrat Mathari for doing Thank you for listening to the SASPod, the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast. Find out all about the Stanford Center for South Asia at southasia.stanford.edu and find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you can tune in again soon.